You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We have two big stories for you tonight. We will have more on the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease for BC Finance Minister Carol James in just a moment. But we begin with breaking news. BC's first community transmission of the coronavirus. One of eight new cases just announced. Aaron MacArthur leads off our coverage tonight with what we know about these latest infections and the spread of the virus. Oh, that we do have eight actually new cases uh, within the last day. A major jump in the number of cases of COVID-19. Four of the new cases are household contacts linked to a previously announced case, but four more completely unrelated, including a person from Seattle and the first case of community transmission. At least one other person out there who's either had this disease or has this disease and we need to find them and find their contacts so we can stop any further transmission. One of the cases is linked to University Canada West. The doors are locked and a quickly typed memo is posted to the window. Hundreds of students told to stay home while they do some cleaning. The health authority has talked to the students and they are saying that when they were on campus that they showed no symptoms so that the risk rate is very low for, for the campus and for our students and employees. The virus originated in Hubei province in China. The first case of an unknown pneumonia was reported to the WHO last December. 80,000 cases have been discovered there since. Now the spread of the disease has shifted. South Korea with more than 6,000 cases. Iran and Italy both approaching 4,000. This is not a drill. We're concerned that some countries have either not taken this seriously enough or have decided there is nothing they can do. The U.S. caseload is ramping up too. Washington State and California remain the hotspots. And now a new problem. A cruise ship carrying thousands of people, including more than 200 Canadians, isn't being allowed to dock. Because we have a number of passengers and crew members that have developed symptoms. 21 cases in B.C. with community spread a reality, as is transmission via land border crossings from Washington State. Health officials unsurprised, but expected to announce preparation plans for wider community spread Friday. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And check out this animated map created using data from the World Health Organization along with the Centers for Disease Prevention and Control in Europe and China. It charts the spread of the coronavirus since the Chinese government notified the WHO of pneumonia-like cases in the city of Wuhan on December 31st. Since then, more than 3,300 people have died and more than 96,800 have contracted the disease. In a little more than two months, COVID-19 has spread to 33 countries. Health officials have already told British Columbians there is no need to stockpile food and other supplies due to the COVID-19 outbreak. Now they're also warning people not to steal medical supplies from hospitals. That's after staff at two lower mainland hospitals noticed that masks were being stolen. Jill Bennett reports. The illness at this point is identified to be droplet spread, so you want to stop those droplets from spreading. There has been a big spike in the sales of surgical-type masks since COVID-19 started to spread. Now it seems people are becoming even more desperate to get their hands on the masks, even though health officials have said repeatedly they will not keep you healthy. 
I think it's just the concern around COVID and the accessibility of supplies in the community. Uh, remembering that surgical masks um, are not deemed to prevent the spread of COVID. Sources tell Global News there have been incidents at local hospitals, including St. Paul's and BC Children's, where healthcare workers have stopped people who have walked in and tried to steal boxes of masks. There have been some examples of that. It's, I don't believe it's widespread, but it's uh, obviously it's something that we condemn and uh, would take action against. Those masks need to be available for the healthcare staff. The respirator N95 masks will be especially needed if BC sees more cases of patients with COVID-19 in hospitals rather than self-isolating at home. Hospitals are taking precautions. They're not typically locked up, but I do know that what the health authorities are concerned about is, uh, again, public access. And so what they have done is place them in areas where they are secured. <laughs> There are also reports of people stocking up on and stealing hand sanitizer. Also unnecessary, according to healthcare officials who remind people, washing hands with soap and water is one of the best ways to protect yourself. Jill Bennett, Global News. Fears about the spread of COVID-19 are having a major impact on worldwide travel. Word from the Delta School District late today that all international spring break school trips are cancelled. Canada's biggest airlines are now making accommodations for travellers who are wary of travelling. And that's good news because it turns out it's not the sort of thing your travel insurance is going to cover. Nadia Stewart explains. It is a rare move by some of Canada's biggest airlines, meant to bring some peace of mind. Major carriers are temporarily relaxing the rules, allowing passengers concerned about coronavirus more flexibility. For, say, two or three weeks, they're allowing people to make bookings, and then if they decide that they don't want to go, they can change the destination or the date right up until, uh, you know, in some cases, hours before they travel. WestJet is now offering a one-time change fee waiver. This covers flights booked between March 3rd to 17th for travel through to June 24th. As for Air Canada, it's also waiving its rebooking fee temporarily, but only for flights to, from, and via specific destinations, and for tickets purchased between January 21st to February 28th. Those destinations include major airports in Italy and select locations in China, such as Wuhan. South Korea, Japan and Iran are also on the list. Passengers are really afraid at the moment. For many people, this will just be what they need in order to have the peace of mind to make the reservation. That peace of mind used to be travel insurance, covering the cost of trip cancellations due to unforeseen circumstances. But many insurers are saying coronavirus is not an unknown anymore. And what the companies are now doing is they're taking a look at it and saying, hey, we know that this is out there. We've seen it spread from country to country. Which means cancelling because of concerns over the virus and expecting a refund might not be realistic. Don't panic at this point. Keep a good eye and, and make sure you're clear about what that travel insurance policy is that you've got. Both Newell and McAleer say there is one insurance clause covering every situation, including this one. Cancel for any reason. It'll cost a bit more up front, but could come in handy even after coronavirus becomes a thing of the past. Nadia Stork, Global News. Had the neurologist appointment at the very end of January, and I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. 
That was the health shocker from B.C. Finance Minister Carol James today, revealing she has Parkinson's disease. Let's bring in our Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry for more on this. A very brave share by Carol James today, Keith. Very brave, but Carol James is a very brave person. It, this came as an absolute shock to everybody over here today, Sophie. Uh, word got, came out that she was going to have a news conference at 1.30, but it did not have the typical things associated with government news releases. So uh, it became apparent it was going to be a personal health issue. And, of course, uh, it was attended, the news conference was attended by MLAs from all the parties, staff, uh, political staff, a very somber news conference, very emotional. I put out a tweet this afternoon saying, Carol, Carol James, no, no one is uh, more liked or more respected respect of the B.C. legislature than Carol James, and it's already got almost 400 likes. So I think that speaks to where how everybody feels about this with her. She talked about a number of things today, including that she's not going to let this disease defeat her. She's going to take every day as it comes and try to get the most out of every day as she experiences this. We're going to hear from her and also from the opposition House leader, which Mary Polak, which is an example, I think. She speaks for all MLAs on all sides of the House. This is certainly not anything that I planned for this next stage of my life. But I also know that anyone can face a life-changing, altering experience tomorrow or the next day or the next day. I just happen to have a name and a diagnosis for mine and a better understanding of what might come. I'm very realistic about the challenges that I'm going to face, which is all the more reason to take advantage of each and every day with everything I have. Carol knows better than most people that it's going to be a, a difficult road. But, uh, you know, she's, she's certainly got the wherewithal uh, to get through anything, I think. She's shown us that. To a person, um, legislators here, uh, colleagues, even staff of the building would say that she's an, a very kind person, very nice person, and uh, that goes beyond uh, some of the partisan wrangling that you see in the, in the chamber. Yeah. True, very true words, Keith. Mm -hmm. uh, very true words. Uh, I understand, though, that uh, James is is not um, walking away from the legislature. Oh. She's staying on till the end of her term. She's going to remain as finance minister, in her words, as long as she can give 100 percent. Uh, but she won't be seeking re-election, which is a big blow to the NDP. I think they were really hoping that uh, she'd continue to serve as finance minister. It's good news for British Columbia, quite frankly, that she will continue as finance minister, because I think everyone over here, uh, again, no matter what side of the ledger you're on in terms of the political spectrum, agree that she's a, a very good finance minister, and I think BC's the better for it. But uh, best, best of her to her on her new journey ahead. Absolutely. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. Keith Baldry in Victoria. Right now, though, the protest camp on the front steps of the B.C. legislature is gone. The occupants voluntarily packed up and moved out earlier today. But that peaceful action outside came just hours after five demonstrators were arrested inside. They had been invited in for a meeting with Minister Scott Fraser. But as Richard Zussman reports, when that meeting ended, they refused to leave. Handcuffed, arms behind their backs, five Indigenous youth arrested in the halls of the B.C. legislature after refusing to leave following a meeting with Indigenous Relations Minister Scott Fraser. This is about the fact that Indigenous youth are not safe within police custody um, and they should not be criminalized for defending the land. The point of where we feel the group live streaming their takeover of a meeting where room. The negotiations have been unsuccessful. And hiding the camera as soon as the arrest started. Oh, hello. Yeah. The five arrested and released with a condition to not return to the legislative grounds. 
Fraser says the group was invited to meet about their concerns about the coastal gaslink pipeline as well as Aboriginal land and title issues. They agreed to leave after the meeting, then suddenly changed course. In my time as minister, that by providing that respect, it is usually reciprocated, and I'm very disappointed that it was not. It took hours for police to remove the Indigenous youth from the building. Concerns from Victoria Police and the legislature, the resources were being unnecessarily used. Every uh, person living in Victoria, and indeed the CRD, has a right to have uh, police available. A much different scene than 24 hours ago. The tents have been cleaned up. The Indigenous youth are moving on. All of this after the arrests. The arrest dominating question period. Fraser criticized for allowing a group so openly hostile to the legislature and government into the building. The minister apparently uh, thought it would be a good idea to invite them into the building. Uh, it led to chaos. Fraser acknowledging in hindsight it would have been smarter to have the meeting away from the building. Maybe that would have been a good idea. Uh, sure. Uh, but uh, 2020 hindsight is great. The Indigenous youth still demanding government stop the coastal gasoline pipeline and vow other events like this will happen until their demands are met. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. A freight train derailed outside of Prince George this morning, forcing the evacuation of a local elementary school. CN Rail says 20 cars jumped the tracks in Giscombe, about 40 kilometres east of Prince George. The train was carrying a variety of products, including coal. The company says there were no fires, no one was injured, and nothing has leaked or spilled. Nearby Giscombe Elementary School was evacuated, though. All 29 students moved to a local church. Up to 200 people who live in the East Line communities have been cut off. Officials are looking for alternate routes. The Transportation Safety Board has sent a team in to investigate the cause. The strangest thing was no staff member indicated they heard anything. There was, there was no noise made from it. Now, I'm quite shocked at that myself, um, but that's the truth of the matter. No one heard, and the school is quite literally beside the train tracks. It's been more than a month since floodwaters inundated parts of the Cowichan Valley on Vancouver Island. But dozens of families, many of them from two local First Nations, remain out of their homes. As Brad McLeod reports, frustrated residents also want something to be done so their homes don't keep flooding. People on the Halalt First Nation still digging out after a flood hit the east coast of Vancouver Island a month ago. Crofton Fire Department evacuated us because the kids were terrified. Homes and heritage damage from the overflowing Cowichan River. How high was the water? The waves from the, the waves from the vehicles going by was actually sweeping my son's car back and forth. But the monetary, nothing compared to the lost memories. Well, they're pictures of my lay mom. A month later, dozens are still distraught and not allowed in their homes, now living off the nation in hotels. Uh, disaster uh, financing uh, has been flowing to uh, a number of residents who have been forced out of their house. Uh, it's federal money that is flowing through and the province is working as hard as we can with them. And south of Halalt, the Cowichan tribes also hit hard, even potentially deadly. Ethan Sampson missing from the Quamichan village since the flood. It was probably up to chest high in water uh, from the Couchin and the Coxsila rivers. Septic systems overflowed into homes. The only way they could get out 
was by boat or canoe. It was the worst flood on record, but residents say it's happening more often. The, um, the government placed um, the reserve in a floodplain. Staff engineer for Cowichan Tribe says this issue could have been addressed decades ago. What we need here is an integrated flood management plan. We'll allow people to live here safely and thrive and grow and flourish within the floodplain. The federal minister of Indigenous Services was here this week to survey the damage when his office was asked repeatedly if funding would be available for future flood protection or help implement safer building guidelines, the minister did not get back. In the meantime, some are already thinking about next time and considering spending tens of thousands to raise the house up. A plea to the feds from this flood-prone land. Mitigate and prevent these issues that will continue, these flooding issues that will continue to happen. Brad McLeod, Global News, Cowichan Tribes Land. Environmentalists are sounding an alarm tonight about one of B.C.'s most famous old-growth forests. A group called the Ancient Forest Alliance says logging on private land on a mountainside is endangering Vancouver Island's Cathedral Grove. Linda Aylesworth tells us what they want the government to do about it. Just west of Qualicum Beach on Vancouver Island, you'll find one of the most accessible and therefore most popular old-growth forests in B.C., Cathedral Grove. It's a valley-bottom ancient forest with uh, some of B.C.'s last remaining gigantic ancient Douglas fir trees. They are protected because they stand within Macmillan Provincial Park. The same is not true for the surrounding forests. We were shocked to discover a massive clear cut on Mosaic's private managed forest lands, um, just 300 metres or so from the, from the um, Macmillan Provincial Park boundary. It is within Mosaic Forest Management's rights to do this. But according to groups like the Ancient Forest Alliance, it doesn't make it sustainable. The landscape around the park is being increasingly fragmented, which uh, threatens the park's ecological integrity. This land was once protected, but about 15 years ago, the Liberal government of the day lifted those regulations. The Ancient Forest Alliance would like to see the current NDP government remedy the situation by re-establishing a provincial land acquisition fund. The land acquisition fund would entail the government creating a dedicated pool of money um, that it can draw on every year to purchase lands of high conservation and recreational value. But the Ministry of Forest says it has no plans to purchase the lands. The Alliance acknowledges the importance of forestry to the economy, but with less than 20% of original old-growth forest remaining in BC's south coast, they say the time for change is past due. We have a, a, a potentially sustainable alternative in second-growth logging, so um, that's what we need to pursue. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The Ministry of Forest says it has just completed a strategic review and the final report expected in the spring will be the basis of a new approach to old growth management. Well, people who want to enjoy the great outdoors at one of BC's busiest provincial parks will have to book online during peak season this year. The province has announced Golden Ears Provincial Park will be 100% reserved, no drive up spots. As Jordan Armstrong reports, the people who fought the government the last time it tried to make that change are tonight crying foul. All is quiet now, but in just a couple of months, Golden Ears Park will be packed with campers. It always is. New this year, though, 
those campers must reserve their spot online. No more drive-up customers allowed. We're very unhappy campers. His family is far from alone. Thousands of names have been added to an online petition, demanding the B.C. government keep at least some campsites first come, first served. We're probably not going to camp at, uh, at Golden Ears anymore. Um, my wife's a shift worker, so we can't really plan four months in advance. Uh, it's kind of taken the uh, spontaneity out of camping. These campsites are a hot commodity. And the petitioners say getting a reservation is like winning the lottery. I went online just out of curiosity to see, could I get something in May? Zero. Nothing's available. Indeed, Golden Ears is among the busiest recreation areas in the province. Last year, more than 132,000 people camped in the park, which has just 440 or so campsites. And we went to 100% reservable in order to ensure that we could properly manage access. George Heyman's ministry tried to enforce the new rule in 2019, but delayed the rollout after public backlash. Now he's confident they've got it right with what he says is an improved reservation system. And the way we've done that is by putting in a satellite connection that allows a real-time update if a campsite becomes available. How long do you get it for? Because it's obviously someone else's reservation as well that you're tackling onto. The unhappy campers say they'll keep up the fight, and if the government doesn't listen, perhaps they'll be reminded on Election Day. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. A shocking development tonight in the story of an Amber Alert in Toronto. Police now say a 14-year-old boy was abducted and is possibly being held hostage over a multi-million dollar drug debt owed by his stepbrother. For 24 hours, the parents of Shama Jolayami have been waiting for any word of their 14-year-old son believed to be in danger. We believe that Shama was abducted as retribution for an unpaid drug debt. Police spent the day combing the area near Jane Street and Driftwood Avenue looking for any sign of the grade 9 student, canvassing and looking for clues as to what might have happened to the teenager. It was 5.30 p.m. Wednesday when police were called after Shama failed to return home from school. And by 11 p.m., after obtaining surveillance video and speaking to witnesses, police notified the public that he had been abducted and that they were very concerned for his safety. And by midnight, a province-wide Amber Alert was issued. A 14-year-old boy was observed uh, to be screaming, help me, help me, and to be forced into a uh, black Jeep Wrangler by two males. Investigators believe that Shama's brother, Ola Lekin Osakoya owes a large debt in relation, in relation to a multi-kilo cocaine rip and has since fled the GTA. He's an innocent little child. This woman who knows the missing boy from the neighborhood came to visit the family. It's affecting me still because these are kids I watched growing up. And this little boy is very polite. You, you're telling us that you believe that Shema is still alive somewhere. I believe that he is, yes. Police spent the day paying periodic visits to the family in their townhouse on Driftwood Avenue. The family unwilling to comment about the ongoing search for their child. Catherine McDonald, Global News. U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren says she has no regrets about her Democratic presidential campaign. I was told at the beginning of this whole undertaking that there are two lanes, a progressive lane that Bernie Sanders is the incumbent for and a moderate lane that Joe Biden is the incumbent for. And there's no room for anyone else in this. I thought that wasn't right, but evidently I was wrong. 
joined by her husband outside their home in Cambridge. The Massachusetts senator announced today she is suspending her campaign. Warren's departure leaves the race down to the two male frontrunners, Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. Senator Elizabeth Warren, after losing her home state of Massachusetts on Super Tuesday, ending her campaign. But I guarantee I will stay in the fight. A field that began with six women, Warren is the last leading woman to bow out. One of the hardest parts of this is all those pity promises and all those little girls who are going to have to wait four more years. Her departure leaving the race to two white men in their late 70s. Did gender play a role? That is the trap question for every woman. Uh, If you say, yeah, there was sexism in this race, everyone says, whiner. And if you say, no, there was no sexism, about a bazillion women think, what planet do you live on? My man! Briefly leading in the polls last fall, Warren says she needs time to think before endorsing anyone. A former law professor, the iconic progressive, was never short on ideas. And I got a plan for that! But she faltered when challenged to explain how she would pay for Medicare for all. A fierce debater, Warren took down Mike Bloomberg. A billionaire who calls women fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. And no, I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about Mayor Bloomberg. And famously was caught on an open mic confronting Bernie Sanders. I think you called me a liar on national TV. While slamming Joe Biden just this week. Nominating someone who wants to restore the world before Donald Trump is a big risk for our party and for our country. The federal government says it's keeping a campaign promise by forcing telecom companies to lower monthly cell phone rates by 25 percent. Industry Minister Navdeep Baines made the announcement this afternoon. Baines believes cell phone subscribers could save up to $15 a month on a six gigabyte plan. Big telecoms have pushed back, though, saying they'd have to reduce investments and cut jobs. But Baines says if they refuse to lower prices, there will be consequences. We will look at additional regulatory measures like how we deploy future spectrum or mobile virtual network operators as a means to drive more competition, which will help lower prices. Bell, Telus, and Rogers have two years to reduce prices by 25% for their wireless plans in the 2 to 6 gig range. In Health Matters tonight, good news for egg lovers. Harvard scientists say eating one egg a day does not appear to increase your risk of heart disease. Eggs have been a topic of debate for years because while they are a good source of protein, they're also high in cholesterol. The new study followed more than 130,000 adults for 30 years and showed no link between egg consumption and heart disease, even after adjusting for all other factors. An extremely windy day at the Mount Washington Observatory in New Hampshire. The observatory recorded its windiest day of the winter season on Wednesday with a peak gust of 214 kilometers per hour. A staff member, an intern actually, volunteered to experience the gusts firsthand, obviously not having that much luck walking against the wind, but luckily neither she nor anyone else was hurt in the making of that video. Best theme song ever. Big news tonight for fans of classic Canadian comedy from an American media giant. We'll have details for you right after the forecast. 
All right. Uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with a look at the forecast, sending interns out into the elements. Christy. <laughs> I would have done it. I that know would, you would have. You, yeah. you would enjoy, I would enjoy it, too. Yeah, you would have, too. It would have been so neat to feel that, I think. Mm-hmm. I was wondering why they didn't have him tied down, though, just in case he kept going. <laughs> <laughs> or her. I wasn't sure. Uh, all right. So we have a, the little break off in the distance. This is an image taken about uh, 45 minutes ago. I wanted to grasp that just so you could see. So we've got a cold front over our region, and that's why we have the rainfall. But there's a sharp line before uh, with the sunshine sort of in behind that. This is the scene, though, on the Coquihalla right now. We're expecting significant snow there this evening. If you're traveling that direction, wait until tomorrow. It'll be far better tomorrow uh, by about noon. So here's a look at the cold front that we're contending with. Sharp line in behind. That's going to shift out overnight. Now, tomorrow, two things are going to happen in behind this cold front. Freezing levels are going to drop tonight. Temperatures will drop down to about one degree in Metro Vancouver. But we're also going to see instability. So these pockets of precipitation that will move on shore, bringing in that chance of showers or wet flurries over higher terrain when temperatures are cold enough. So here's the breakdown. Oh, and then especially as we head into Saturday morning, we have that chance of showers or flurries. So here's a breakdown of the next 24 hours. In the morning, a chance of showers or wet flurries over higher terrain likely breaks a blue sky near noon tomorrow. And then that chance of showers returns later in the day by the evening hours tomorrow. And especially towards Saturday morning when the temperatures are cold enough, we could see those wet flurries. Again, over higher terrain mainly, but uh, it's just a heads up. So there's your snow forecast for tonight. And here's your forecast for tomorrow. So lots of blue sky tomorrow. It's really just some instability pushing on to coastal regions. You can see uh, in the Columbia and the Kootenai region as well. But overall, a mix of sun and cloud tomorrow with that chance again of showers or flurries with breaks of blue sky certainly in there as well. So that's into Saturday morning, that pattern. Little drier Saturday into our Sunday, though. So not a bad uh, stretch of weather, that's for sure. And I love this shot sent to us from Chilliwack. This is Case. He ran ran outside when he saw the uh, uh, rainbow. This was from two days ago. But Kathy and Henry are their grand- his grandparents. Apparently, he didn't put on his pants, just his boots to go out and see it. <laughs> you know what? He's looking for the pot of gold. There's no time. That's right. you got to go fast. We've all had those moments. <laughs> He's wearing his pants, don't worry. I am. Okay, We'll get to Squire in a sec. If you heard anyone walking around today saying, I'm crushing your head, or talking like a chicken lady, this could be why. Amazon has announced it's bringing back the classic Canadian sketch series Kids in the Hall for an eight-episode run. It'll be Amazon's first Canadian original series and will feature the original cast all of them. The new show will resurrect some of the original classic characters and will be produced by Saturday Night Live creator Lauren Michaels. No word at this point exactly when it will be streaming. And our director said, you look so excited. It's because I am. (laughs) Were you a big fan? I was a big fan. I think Lauren Michaels was the producer back then too. He was, yeah. 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 I know. Do you think they still have it? We'll see. Still do it? Sometimes it's hard to get it back. Right. We've all had that too. They can do it. They can do it. (laughs) Sometimes we run outside without our pants on. Sometimes it's hard to get it back. He keeps bringing that up. Well, I mean, have I ever done that? I wouldn't admit it anyway. (laughs) Last minute changes to the sports casting. Well, just scores. Okay. The Canucks, we know what happened to them. Okay. So the Canucks playoff cushion. That was once so pillowy soft. 
is now like a deflated air mattress that's sitting over a bunch of rocks. Nothing is comfortable anymore. Losing four in a row will do that to you. And last night, just like Sunday in Columbus, Vancouver lost despite having a lead at one point in the third period. Now, the Canucks last night did have some unlucky goals go against them. The bounces didn't go their way. But earlier this season, the bounces did go their way. So they're just going to have to work harder in third periods. Honestly, it's unacceptable on our part, and we got to be better in that area, especially down the stretch here. Um, you know, it's it's we're done making excuses for ourselves. We have to uh, to bear down when we're up and and uh, protect leads. Is it hard to stay positive when you're confronting this? Um, I don't think so for us. Um, you know, I, I think we're close as a group in here, and um, you know, when, it's, when guys start to kind of turn on each other, that's when it can be tough. But I think guys are rallying together right now, and, and that's a good sign. And, um, when guys do that, then, you know, goals start going in for us and, and goals stop going in for them. All right, the Oilers are in Chicago, so the Canucks are hoping for Chicago here. And early on, Jonathan Taves, the breakaway, Mike Smith, the save. Oh, that's not what Canuck fans want to see. They want to see this. One of their old nemesis, Patrick Kane, with patience and the goal to make it one nothing for Chicago. And then another old nemesis. Showing patience. Jonathan Taves around, and this time he scores. It's 3-1 in the second period for Chicago. Nashville, of course, just had to withstand those devastating tornadoes. So Nashville strong is on the ice. And the Predators on the power play late in the first period. If they win this game, that's Philip Forsberg scoring. There will be four teams in the West tied for the final two wildcard spots. One of them will be the Canucks. Another power play goal, this time Matt Duchesne with a tip in. 2-0 in the second period for the Preds. While the Vancouver Canucks may be running out of games to turn things around, the Vancouver Whitecaps have just started their season. So there's a whole year left to wash away that bad taste of the 3-1 loss on Saturday to Sporting Kansas City. A game that was especially disappointing after such a promising exhibition came, make that exhibition campaign by the Whitecaps. The most shocking thing about the Whitecaps opening game is how their plan of pressuring Kansas City never materialized. In the end, it almost looks like the Whitecaps had a case of opening night jitters, afraid to take chances, and nothing ever works out when you're playing scared. Yeah, you know, I think we let kind of the first game, the anxiousness of it, you know, kind of get to us. And it kind of took away from our principles, from our tactics. Dahomey at first, cuts it back for Russell, leaves it for Kindo. What a goal! Well, I just mentioned. If you're too scared of the opponent, then you try to 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 stay more back than actually go at them. And uh, we don't want to be about that. We can't be afraid of losing. I'm not. So I just told the guys that it's my responsibility. Don't be afraid, and let's go at them. Vancouver's only goal came from some brilliant work by David Milinkovic, but that was almost against the run of play. Unlike the preseason when Whitecap goals seemed to come off more consistent pressure. Uh, if you look at us in preseason, it was one of our trademarks, and uh, the people who followed us in preseason really saw our aggressive and the mentality and closing down and stepping forward and winning battles and then it didn't come out in this game so we reminded them of what we could be and what we're about we want to be the ones that you know punch the guy in the face first to say it honestly we want to get in there we don't care that we're away we don't care it's our first game at home we just want to go in play hard get aggressive yeah 
So a less anxious and hopefully braver Whitecaps squad now travel to L.A. to face the Galaxy on Saturday, determined to make their fans and themselves forget about opening night. It's uh, as much as it's ability, it's also a mentality. And it's a mentality that we have to, be, has to become second nature within the group. And uh, it's, we showed it in preseason and we're very capable. BC Boys 4A Basketball Championships, number one seed Burnaby South facing Oak Bay. Burnaby South is in the yellow. Justin Sunga finishing off that nice bit of passing. Oak Bay though, Lucas Mafia from long range, count it. Rebels though, their big man 6-7, Karan Ajla for the layup. Burnaby South wins this by 40, 89-49. They advance to the semifinals against Vancouver College. Arnold Palmer Invitational. To have ever lived, we'll see. Rory from distance. Eagle, 666, he's in second place. Matt Every. Back into the win and what's tough Former champ. This also from long range. Not an eagle though, but a birdie. He has the lead at seven under par. Nick Taylor of Abbotsford, one over 73. Well done. Thank you very much. Okay. Here's your snow report for this evening. Holy powder day up on Whistler and Blackcomb. 27 centimeters of new snow. They are certainly the winners today. Grouse picked up three. Cypress and Sasquatch, nothing new, but they will get some this evening. Manning Park, 20. Revelstoke, 5. Fernie and Kicking Horse, nothing new. Big White, Silver Star and Sun Peaks, also nothing new, but they should be getting some again overnight tonight. Apex, 3. Mount Washington, 5. Whitewater and Red Mountain, nothing but Powder King Four. Coming up on ET Canada, the cast previews the new movie based on the scandalous life of Rob Ford, plus how Jennifer Garner saved her ex Ben Affleck's new movie. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Sophie. Thank you very much, Cheryl. Well, it's time for a royal news. Yeah. Yet another big step tonight in that unprecedented royal break. Harry, who doesn't want to be called Prince anymore, and his wife Meghan are back in London. And they attended their final engagements as full royals. Meghan and Harry all smiles tonight. The royal farewell tour in high gear. Meghan back in the UK for the first time since the couple's dramatic decision to step down as senior working royals. Hello, how are you? And the pair in public together for the first time in months. It's very nice to be back. Tonight, one of their last appearances before they give up their royal title. Being able to serve queen and country is something that we're all rightly proud of, and it never leaves us. On Sunday, Harry meeting with the queen to ease what's seen as a family rift. They're going to be with the Queen, who's had to oversee this whole departure. My goodness, we'll be looking at that body language. But the Queen will not get a baby Archie sighting. Her great-grandson staying behind in Canada, his new home. And no one knows exactly what comes next, but Queen Elizabeth has been very clear that those palace gates remain at least partially open should her grandson Harry and Meghan ever want to return. Molly Hunter, NBC News, London. At least partially open. She'll no leave one the, else can go in. Though. She'll leave the back door open and <laughs> yeah. a little light on it. You want to come <laughs> in? Don't key. you come through the front door? A key under the flower yeah, pot. Yeah, yeah. There'll be. That's no, right. There's a key under not. the flower pot, right by the corgi who's sleeping over there. Just pick it up and come in. <laughs> Those big, big yeah. old-fashioned keys. Yeah. Right? Make yourself a sandwich. You know, <laughs> sleep on the couch. Don't wake us up. 
All right, uh, final word on the weather. Sure, so a bit tricky over the next couple of days. Overall, what I need you to understand is that we will see some sunshine, but we have a chance of showers or wet flurries over higher terrain, mainly tomorrow morning and again Saturday morning. Really? Does that make sense? <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> it could get complicated. I'm not that happy about it. All right, that's all the time we have. Have a good night, all.